All right, so we are continuing our journey through John. Uh, today we are finishing off chapter 4. So it's going to be chapter 4, and it's verses 39 through 54. <clears throat> 39 through 54. All right, starting with verses 39 through 44. I'm just going to read through here real quick here where it says, Now from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves and know that this one truly is the Savior of the world. And after two days, he departed from there for Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So as we had covered last week, where this is kind of a crossover into there, the woman had come to the well and had an experience with Jesus Christ. And he, through their conversation, tells them that he is the living water, that in him is eternal life. And then he shakes up her world completely when he starts talking of worship, when she tries to change the subject, apparently. And he says that a time has come and is coming and already has come where true worshipers will not worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem where the temple was, but in spirit and in truth. Verse 24 there had said, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That is what the Lord had said. So He's pointing her to a direction that's not in religiosity, not something that is confined to one place, be it a mountain or a temple, but in sincere, true faith in the true God. So when somebody is born again, he's telling them that you will have a sincere worship of the Lord both here and when you cross the veil. It will continue. <clears throat> so there's a, set, there's a quick set of events that happen here for the other Samaritans. We see that as the woman at the well spreads the news, in part, maybe evangelizes for the Lord, that they believe in Him. And then they ask Him to stay, and this is counter to what they would have normally done because we have a Jewish person in with the Samaritans who hated Him. But no, they see who He is and they invite Him to stay. <clears throat> Excuse me. But... If you look at the words that Jesus had told her, and yet she still went and evangelized, he said that despite knowing all of these things that she had done, that she had ever did, he was essentially telling her he loved her anyways. So despite the skeletons that we have in our closets, all the things that we've done in our past, whether it be yesterday or 10 years ago, Jesus loves us anyways. And the Samaritans are learning this, and they learn that He is the Savior, not just of the Samaritans, not just of the Jews, but of the whole world, of those 
who will believe in the Word made flesh. The one who was, as we saw in the beginning of John, in the beginning who was with God, who was God, who all things were made to be through Him. And they learned right there, as Jesus stayed with them for two days, that He was the life and He was the light of all mankind and that He would soon die and rise for them. So to be a Samaritan at this moment must have been something. I mean, I'd have probably settled to just be a fly on the well just to watch and listen. I mean, it had to have been quite the moment. So we see, though, that Jesus is going to return to Galilee. He's not going to go back to to Jerusalem at the moment. He's going to go to where he grew up. Because when they came, when he came back from Egypt, he grew up in Galilee. And he says right off the bat that before he even gets there, that this is going to be where he would not find honor befitting him. What did they consider him? That's something that we don't really get to see, but these people probably watched Jesus grow up. Some of them were probably his contemporaries. So they knew of Jesus of Nazareth, but... That's the one part that I wish that we could see a little bit more, and I'm sure it's for a reason. But what did they say about Jesus as he was growing up? Did they say that this is God in the flesh, or did they wait to unveil that until later in his life? So what did these people think of who this man was that was coming back? Did they give him the kind of honor that he should have had? Did they see what he was going to do for them? The blessings that they would receive. So what does the text say? Did they honor him? We see in 45 through 46 here where it says, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Now, there's going to be a difference here. I don't know what the NIV shows there. But those who are raised on the King James, it might be a slightly bit different. But the NASB does a good job at fleshing this out. So the Galileans received him only because... They had seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem for the feast, at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. So their zeal for Jesus was not sound. It doesn't even really say that they honored him. But their zeal was not sound because they received him only because of what they saw him do. Not because he was the Christ, not because he was the Savior of all the world, but they were honoring him based on what they could actually see when they were around him. If it hadn't been for the miracles that he performed, it's essentially saying they may not have believed his words. Something to think about there. <clears throat> but the main part of our text here, of course, is the, is the royal official. So we're going to talk about him right here as we finish our text. It'll probably be a little bit of a quick one today. So 47 through 54 talks of this royal official. And it says, There was a royal official whose son was sick at at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and began asking him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. 
And Jesus said to him, Go, your son is alive. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went home. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him and saying that his son was alive. So he inquired of them, when was the hour that he began to get better? And they said that it was yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the hour which Jesus said to him, your son is alive. And he himself believed in his entire household. This again is the second sign that Jesus performed when he had come from Judea into Galilee. So there is a condition that seems to go on in people's minds and their souls when someone that they care for is dying. Or when you think possibly they're going to die. Anybody who's in here who has had that happen knows that there is something that goes on in you that makes you, I guess you could say, more vulnerable to God. Maybe drop those defenses that you would have because you may not have talked to God for the last 20 years, but all of a sudden your husband or your wife or your child is dying and you're coming to God and you're asking for something, right? Suddenly you've been humbled. Seems like that's what's happening here. Those are the moments that a lot of people come to faith. A lot of people come to faith in those kind of moments. But this noble, this was a noble person, so this is probably somebody who had a lot less cares than the average person going on there. Because he probably was a lot more well off. I don't think he was worrying about when his next meal was going to be, how he was going to pay for his rent, things like that, right? He had a lot of the worldly items that a person looks for. But he's brought back to earth because his child is dying. So Jesus does something really interesting here. And like in a lot of different text areas in our Bible, if you gloss over it really quick, you'll miss it. So he rebutes this request in a way And it almost seems like it's for the other people that are there. Because he says, you people. He doesn't just say to him. He says, you people, unless you see these signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Because signs and wonders are awesome when they're from God. But they are not the object of worship. That's what Jesus was trying to get across here. If you worship the miracles, you're not worshiping God need to worship who performs the miracles. <clears throat> in 2 Thessalonians 2, 8-9, through 9, there's an interesting set of scriptures here on this, where it says, Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will eliminate with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is... The one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders. What it's saying is that not all miracles, not all signs are of God, so we have to be discerning. There are such things as false miracles, false signs. But even of the ones that are legit, they can't be the only thing that sustains a person's faith. That's what Jesus is trying to get across here. Look at what happened in the Old Testament. There's a really good example here with the nation of Israel in Exodus. 
So in Exodus uh, 19, that's Exodus 18, I'm sorry, through, through 20, this is talking of the nation of Israel where it says, now Mount Sinai, listen to this situation. Imagine being here and watching this. Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord ascended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the entire mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. And then the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Then we see in chapter 20, where it continues on this, uh, where it says, God spoke all of these words, saying, and then he starts giving off the commandments, right? We skip over to verses 18 and 19, though, and he says, And all the people were watching and hearing the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it all, they trembled and stood at a distance. And they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have, have God speak to us or we will die. So they're seeing the might of God in front of them on the mountain as Moses is having an encounter with, with God. It's mighty and it's earth-shattering, but not long after this in Exodus, what are they going to do? They're going to worship a golden calf. They're going to stray from God that quick because the signs and wonders had ceased for a little bit and it didn't hold them any longer. They needed continuing signs to be, to be, uh, to be at God's feet. They had that weak faith. But the Samaritans that we saw here in our text here says that they believed not because of a sign and wonder, they says it says that they believed because of his word, because of the things that he told them. And the Galileans, they received him only because of what they had seen him do in Jerusalem at the feast. And they received him. I don't even I really don't even understand what that means when it says that. It doesn't say that they were honoring him, it just says that they welcomed him in. It doesn't necessarily say that they were honoring him. They didn't realize that that He was God, that He was the Savior of them. They didn't beg Him to stay, to come into their homes. Because they knew Him. Remember, they watched Him grow up. They knew this is Jesus of Nazareth. They didn't ask Him what they should do for eternal life. They received Him only because of what they had seen Him do. So back, but back to the noble here. We don't want to forget about Him. <clears throat> This man, as we said before, he's, he's brought down to earth despite his stature because his child is laying at home dying of a fever. <clears throat> so his child is dying of a fever, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, he doesn't, he doesn't really, we don't know if he understood exactly what Jesus was doing here. Maybe I'm wrong on this. But Jesus, in a way, was giving his faith a little bit of a test here. Maybe he saw it, maybe he didn't. But he wanted to see, is this man going to have faith in only what he sees? Or is he going to have faith in what I tell him? The man's need was great, right? His child was dying. 
Your child is sick, you get pretty frantic, and you think that they're not going to make it. His plea, it looked sincere. And what does Jesus say? He just says, go, your son is alive. Go. Nothing dramatic, not a big scene, not a big ritual. He just says, hey, go. So was the boy the intended healing here is the question. And I think part of it obviously is yes, the boy was, but not really all of it because a lot of this was done for the man. Because the boy probably lived, let's assume, maybe he lived another 50 years. Maybe he lived another 10 days. We don't know how long he lived. We don't, we don't see his lifetime. I mean, don't forget, Lazarus was raised from the dead to die again. He was going to die. So what Jesus did here, He didn't go to Capernaum. He showed who He was and who He is without even taking a step. That's what He did for this man. And the man's faith was shown by believing without seeing the miracle. It wasn't like today where he could just pick up his cell phone and call home, hey, is he any better yet? Right? wasn't like that. He was about two days away, depending on if he had a horse or not. Where were his questions? You know, did he, why didn't he speak up and go, well, Jesus, why don't you come down just in case? I just, I want to be sure. This is my, maybe this is only his, his only kid. I want you to come down. I need you to heal him in person so I can be sure. He didn't do any of that. He believed what Jesus spoke. He didn't question it. He didn't need to see it. And Jesus' miracle proved in the life of the child reinforced that man's apparent already faith. And then the whole household comes to faith in Christ. So, by the signs that it's talked about here so far, we've seen in John, we've seen the water into wine at the wedding feast, a, you know, a party celebrating a godly union of two people. We see a healing of a child on a deathbed. And in both situations, it's not a problem for Jesus, and it doesn't matter his location or the distance from what is going on here. So he works in all in both situations and in everywhere in between. And yet we see with the Samaritans, they didn't even need that. They said, we believe what you're saying. We know who you are. We know that you are, you are Jesus of Nazareth, but you are also our God. We know that you are what you are going to do because he talked with them. Surely he probably spoke of this. They knew that this was the person that they would come to in faith, that they would ask for guidance that they would probably ask for miracles like all people do, but their faith would hopefully stay strong regardless of if they saw those miracles come to fruition or not. So the best opportunity for them would be to be like the royal official and to take Jesus' word at face value. And that's where we get to today where it relates for us. Because we have God's Word written down for us. We have our Bibles that is the most printed book of all time, that has been preserved, has been maintained for us. One of the most preserved documents in the world, if not the. 
And we have it not just so we can read it, not just so we can ponder it, not just so we can talk about it, but it's so that it can be the rudder of our life. It's a standard that doesn't change. The society's standards change every other day. We see that. In the last 20 years, you'd never think that some of the things are normal that are normal today. But God's Word hasn't changed. This Bible that has been preserved for us is a history and is directions for the reconciliation of us to the Father through Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit living and operating in us. So if we believe the Gospel message, that's the key. And when we do, we see in God's Word that we are born again, that we are given grace upon grace and unmerited eternal life. This is a really interesting chapter because of the fact that you see these different ways that people react to Jesus. The ones that react in true faith, the ones that have to have some kind of proof in order to believe. And even then, we don't know how far that belief would go because maybe it was dependent only on the signs. So we want that faith that no matter what happens, we stay strong in the Lord. Because regardless if you see a sign or not, He's either God or He's not. So, this is kind of a, a quick run-through of this chapter. We're going to be getting into some really good stuff next week in chapter 5. Does anybody have any questions or comments? There's a lot that can be added to this. Anybody? Anybody?